Hello, welcome to the Genius Design Transcends Time podcast, where we gather with leaders and experts from around the globe for a forum on fashion and health. This is your host, Andrea Alexis Smith. Thank you for joining us today. Our first guest is a very good friend of mine, Philippe Amard. Philippe is an AI and cybersecurity expert for organizations, defense and strategic warfare, and an organizational theorist. He is someone I respect personally for his views on protecting personal privacy and data collection and AI applications. Philippe is the CEO of Akiros, a cybersecurity and R&D company. He has consulted for numerous companies in the defense, telecommunications, and cybersecurity space, such as Airbus and Orange. Philippe has published over 80 articles on organizational learning, intelligence, business strategy, machine learning, information warfare, forecasting, perception, and organizational facades. He has also written eight books and poeted three books on these subjects. Philippe has held visiting professorships at New York University, University of California, Berkeley, and Stanford University. He is currently professor at the French National Conservatory of Arts and Crafts, associate researcher to Cole Polytechnique's chair on innovation and regulation in Paris, and president of the Scientific Council of France's High Council for Strategic Education and Research. In today's episode, we talk about fashion and how it can be our guide to live happier, healthier, and more meaningful lives. Philippe shares his insight into AI, behavioral intelligence, and the future of fashion with hopes to bring us to more freedom, happiness, and our highest potential. Once again, this is the Genius Design Transcends Time podcast. I am your host, Andrea Alexis Smith. Thank you for joining us. Here we go. Welcome to the very first Genius Design Transcends Time podcast, where fashion and health connect. And today we're going to talk about rockets, bees, and the future of fashion. And this is Andrea Alexis Smith, and I'm here in San Francisco speaking with my very, very good friend, Philippe Omard, who is the CEO of Akiros, a cybersecurity and R&D company in Paris. Philippe, thank you so much for joining me on my very first podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. So you are an expert in the defense and aerospace world. And so your technology goes into rockets and helicopters. Could you tell me about that and how you see AI and technology working for fashion? Well, what, what we do at Acuros is, is basically we build artificial intelligence components to understand the behaviors of planes. So what we would do is that we would try to protect an airplane against a cyber attack using what we call a, a behavioral artificial intelligence. And what it is is that we, we learn the behaviors and, and we link the behavior of the plane, of the drone with its, its, its main characteristics. So we have, if you want, we have some kind of a DNA of a behavior. And so if we, if we take this new capabilities of artificial intelligence today, I mean, AI today can do more than increase the intelligence of humans. AI can actually learn alongside human beings and not only help them, but, but behave or think just like them. And if you think about fashion, then you think, well, maybe we are wrong about what we did with AI. Because if you take the idea of AI in fashion, it started a long, long time ago. I mean, I, I remember when I joined UC Berkeley in 2003, I was working for this French telecommunication company called Orange, you know, Orange Company. And one of our research projects was to try to build an intelligent garment, intelligent clothes for fashion. And that's what, the first thing we did with UC Berkeley was, was to put sensors and screen on clothes 
on the scarf. I remember actually the scarf and the scarf would, would communicate to people what is your mood of if you want to communicate and so on. But this is like almost 20 years ago. And if you look at fashion and AI, fashion hasn't used all the possibility of AI today. I mean, very far from using any of the new capabilities of, of AI today. So this scarf, so you could literally detect feelings. Well, that's the problem. I mean, at that time, all we had was a very simple AI. It was not learning a lot. So you would basically program it and, and you would wear it and you would communicate to other people your mood, but there was no real sensors. Today, we, we can not only have sensors, I mean, it's, sensors have become really cheap. I mean, if you think about the sensors in, sensors in 2003 or 2004, I mean, you, you would have to spend a lot of money to have a heat sensor or any kind of light sensors. And today they are so cheap. I mean, they, they cost like a few cents. But what is more interesting today is that because they are so affordable, you can, instead of having one or two or three sensors, you can have 20, 30 sensors on the clothes. And so basically you are, we are getting on a curve where AI is going to get more and more sensors. And, and human beings are, are not that bright. Human, human beings, I mean, <laughs> if you look at, if you look at human beings, they, they just have a lot of sensors. We have millions of sensors on, on our skin, on our fingers. And, and so we are a, a very poor cognitive system. We have, we have quite a, a limited intelligence with amazing sensors. So if we think about it, the garments, the fashion industry is, is going to get more and more sensors and they are going to be more and more embedded into the clothes. So at one point, Yes, it won't communicate. It will learn from you. And I think that's the main novelty. So your history, your feelings, what about the provenance of the clothes? Or Well, that's, that's the issue. I mean, the issue is what do we want from our clothes? I mean, one of the things, you know, if you think of the 80s and 90s, we wanted our clothes to, to tell a story to others. And so... The clothes were, were, were like very, uh, they were eccentric and, and they were showing off. And then you had the, the late nineties and, and the fashion became dark and gray. You know, if you remember that the sober fashion, right. everybody was, everybody was wearing black and gray and, and it was all dark. So in, in the middle of the night, you would not recognize anybody because, okay, maybe it's Dior, maybe it's Saint Laurent, but it's, it's, it's right. basically gray. No, okay. even, even women were wearing the black power suit in the nineties. Yes. It was, it was the, the thing. I mean, you, the, the fashion was the cut. The cut was the signature. But what you wanted to do is, is, is to say to everybody, yes, I do have a signature, but I don't want to show it off. And then if you look at the fashion today, I mean, it, it obviously, personality is back. I mean, the, the, the way it expressed itself is that fashion is, is digging into the fifties, the forties, the sixties, but it's, it's a bit, 
it's, it's a bit more ca- colorful. But the main thing there is that it's always something which is around you. It's actually not part of you. I mean, the marketing speech, I mean, the, the spin is, yes, it's the closest part of you. It's your personality, but it's pretty numb. It doesn't learn anything from you. And so what I'm saying is that what we are able to do with helicopters or what we are going, we are going to do right now with planes and, 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 and spaceship and space exploration. I mean, we are able to learn so much thing about an embedded system, a plane, a rocket. And when, I, when I'm talking about sensors, I mean, on, on, the, on the typical uh, helicopter or, or drones, you are going to have like 500, 600, 800 sensors, actuators and sensors. So that's how we learn. Now, let's imagine that your dress, your suit has 500 sensors. It will see and learn more than you about your life. And, and maybe it will actually feel and see things that you didn't see and didn't feel. Right. So almost, almost like a GoPro, like. Yeah. A GoPro without the priving eyes, you know. <laughs> okay. A GoPro without killing your privacy. The GoPro without the aggression of others. I'm, I'm thinking. The learning of 2020 with the elegance of the 60s and 50s. You know, you don't have to be an extra extrovert. And, and I mean, you don't have your sensors don't need to be like 500 eyes. I mean, there are things which are really important. Like, like, is it warm? Is it cold? Is it crowded? You know, all these things and all these things, they, they tell a story about the clothes. And this story can actually be uh, downloaded somewhere or you can actually talk to your clothes. I know it's, it's, it's kind of silly, but at one point, the clothes will have a lot of intelligent functions that they actually do not have today. You know, for example, we talk about social distancing right now, which actually is a very, a very wrong word. You know, social distancing means being away from people, but this is something which is not natural to human beings. I mean, we want to talk to everybody. Right. This is, this is very interesting, Philippe. So you, your technology has worked for mapping. So how do you see this as far as the social distancing and clothes? Could you embed that kind of, kind of technology right into clothes? Yeah, you could. I mean, what I'm thinking is that if we, if we think way further than what we can do today, I mean, right. today, yes, today I can map things. I can, I can do a map and understanding that, yes, there are places which are safer than others. And that's, that's a great thing. But what I'm doing right now is that I'm using these mathematical models and I'm using big data to learn. Okay. But the more we use big data to learn, the more our knowledge is external from us. So it's like, it's like a depossession of our knowledge. And what I'm saying is that instead of being depossessed of our knowledge, we can get closer to our knowledge. And to get closer to our knowledge, we would use our clothes. Our clothes would, would be different new ways to learn about our environment. And it can protect us. It can help us and protect us. You know, like 
maybe the thing we learning about our social learning or social behavior. I think at one point our clothes will be able to, to tell us, you know, like you are not in the place you should be, you know, you should go home and, and, and basically put your clothes in your closet and then the closet will have sensors and will learn about your day. And this learning will be for you and for you only. And then you will be able to say, you know, like, like having like some, some feedback. I, I think it's kind of a romantic idea. Like, like you can take, I'm, I'm imagining that I take the lifetime of a clothes before I give it away. I can, you know, like I, I give away most of my clothes. So before I give it away, I, I want to keep the, the stories. That is fabulous. You talked about behaviors and authenticity. What do you think about how, how can you, can you authenticate feelings? You said you were talking about earlier. Can you authenticate feelings? Like the clothing is telling you not to. Yeah, but do you want, do we want to? But yes, we could. I mean, that, that's, I mean, there is always a, a very bright side and a dark side to everything. And of course, we might enter the dark side there. Your personal feelings transpires on you. Like, like, you know, like you can, you know, you, you look at the, the English expression, you know, you can feel heated by something or so. Yes. I mean, the appropriate sensors would know more about your feelings and your reaction that you might know yourself. And so there is two two paths you can explore there. The first one is like I'm saying, my clothes protect me. I mean, that's what clothes are for. I mean, clothes are, are invented by mankind to protect themselves. So if you have distributed intelligence in your clothing, then your, your clothing can protect you and help you. And so what you can imagine is that all these sensors, these 400 sensors that you have on your clothes, which, which most of them are like nano sensors, very small sensors, they can inform you. Well, I mean, things you might know yourself, so you don't need any sensors to know. I mean, if there's a place you don't like, yes. But there are things, you know, which are like more progressive. Like you would walk in the street, you know, and the clothes would learn about the places. And then it would alert you and say, well, this is the right place for you. Or before you get into a, a cafe or anything, say, well, it's a cool place, but it doesn't look like you. Because the clothes could learn that. I mean, learning every day wearing this intelligent clothing, at one point it would say, ah, no, it's not the right restaurant for you. I mean, the food is exactly what you want. Maybe you should go, you should try it. And also, you know, like, we don't want to become sheep. You know, we want, I mean, freedom is the, the most amazing quality of, of human, of the humankind. And, and yes, we, you don't want to be deprived from freedom. I mean, I don't want to, to submit to any AI in my life. I mean, we are not going to create artificial intelligence to submit to it. This is like nonsense. So basically what I imagine is that this AI is not something that would shape your behavior, but on, on, you could actually ask to be surprised or you could say, you know, like, make sure and that that's coming to what we do, you know, like anomaly detection or, incongruity generation, let's make sure that everything I do is enriching my personal experience. So when you detect that my learning curve is going down, 
you, my clothes, you are my friend and you tell me, you know what? You should like put a little revolution into your life. Uh, you have to make a lot of change because you're not learning very much on you're basically killing yourself into, into a routine. I mean, AI can also help you to, to liberate or discover new horizons. And I think that's a key point. The key point is not having something that is shaping and controlling, but something that is actually liberating for us. Okay. So more of a natural process allowing for that. Yeah. Except that you need to control it. You know, like I'm always thinking about Boston Dynamics, which is an amazing company. And, and, you know, it's a company who did all these Pegasus and all these little robots, the, the dog robot and, and the jumping robots. So the idea about behind these robots is evolutionary dynamics and evolutionary learning. So these robots are not programmed. They are programmed to learn. That's, that's why they walk so well. That's why they jump and everything. But if you program a robot or if you program an AI to learn by itself, the way you program it is going to change not only the robot or the AI, but everything around it tremendously. So if I, if I inject AI into clothing, into fashion, I want to make sure that, that this AI is not going to uh, laminate or to, to make all the human taste less diverse. And that's, that's, that's the main risk. The main risk is that you don't want, I mean, I would be very happy to have a, a very silent AI on my clothing, but the silent AI, I, I want it to be, to make sure I don't have to wear a mask when I go outside. I mean, if I have a silent AI on me and there is a, a pandemic or something, this silent AI can just warm me very softly. Okay, can you do that right now? As a, since we're right in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic, can you embed your your AI into clothing so you can walk around without a face mask potentially? Yes, I mean that's something we already do. What we do is that we are learning the uh, characteristic of the environment and we are calculating the replication dynamics, so the epidemiological model of the of the pandemic on a local focal point. So, for example, you want to go to the Golden Gate Park and you don't know how to get there and you want to minimize the risk of, of getting uh, an, an exposition or a transmission of the virus. So what we are doing right now is that we are learning about every single characteristic of any place on the planet. It could be the population density, the access to healthcare, even the, uh, the health that comes from eating habits, the the time of sunrise, the time of sunset, the car traffic, I mean, everything we take into account. And when we learn about all these things, we can calculate for every single square foot on the planet, what is the best path to take. And the way we do it is that because there is three components in there. The first component is, I mean, the, the COVID and the virus is is... It's not the same everywhere. It's the same SARS-2 virus, but it, it's, its potential really depends on the immunity system that it's targeting. And it's, it's not targeting a specific population. It's, it targets the weak. So we can say that the SARS-2 has a strategy. Maybe it's just a, a realized strategy because it's not a deliberate strategy. But if you look after the fact, there is a strategy. And the strategy is to target the weak. 
And every country, every place in the world does not have the same week. I mean, the, the, the week in Illinois are not the same week than in California, are not the same week than in Alabama, not the same week than in northern Spain and northern Italy. Now, if you take the, the, the story of Padova, Padua in Italy, why did it start in Padova? I mean, like, like sometimes things are so obvious and people don't ask the simple question. Why did it start in Padova? Padova is a very small medieval city which is like one hour northwest of Venice. And it didn't start in Venice. It started in Padova, which is kind of interesting. Well, the fact is that there is, you know, like all the tourists are arriving in, in Venice through the airport of Venice. And there is one bus. I know because I took that bus last year in February. There is one bus. And the bus goes from, from the airport to the, the bus and train station in Venice. And then it goes back to Padova. So it's a loop. So the bus that, that takes all the tourists from the airport to Venice goes into a loop from Venice, Padova, Padua, and then go back to the airport. So you see, it's a, a pandemic event can be linked from a very local behavior. Okay. And, and that, that embedded, embedded into fashion as well. Well, it could. I mean, the, the, the thing that, Right now, what we do is that we use satellite, satellite information. We use like uh, Google and Facebook, you know, like this initiative, Facebook for good. So we, we use big data and data that is coming from computers and phones. But I think it's very invasive and it's not very efficient. Because what we do is that we spend a lot of energy and money and we do, and we develop a lot of social control for a very, very small result. So we lose too much freedom for a very, very small result. And I'm, I'm, I'm convinced it's not worth it. I mean, my freedom is more important and, and, and is, is vital. I mean, freedom is vital to any society. So we cannot jeopardize so much freedom for such a poor result. So what I'm saying is that we should concentrate intelligence, AI, you know, uh, where it matters. And so the mobility is around you. Your clothing, fashion, this is your personality and this is your mobility. It goes together. I mean, your personality when you go out is the clothes you choose and the clothes you wear. And now, why don't we put everything at the same place? Why do we have to use the phone or communication to do so you're, this is for pre- a prevention model. And so your, your technology is different because it runs autonomously and it's incongruent. Is that, is that correct? Well, the, the technology is different because what we learn, most AI, so you, okay, you have different families of, of artificial intelligence and, and it's how they learn and how they produce results. I mean, the, the old family, is the heuristic family. So in the beginning of AI in the 50s, well, actually in the 40s, what AI was trained to do, it was trained to imitate mankind. So most of the artificial intelligence in the beginning was trying to emulate and simulate human reasoning. So the idea was to copycat any human reasoning and try to do the same or better. When, when the, the world of 
image came, which is basically in the end of the 90s with the internet and the cyberspace, we discovered that we could learn from human beings by learning from images. And so you had this new kind of AI, and that, that's from the, the works of Yann Lequin, which is a French researcher with the, the current uh, head of artificial intelligence for Facebook. And this uh, artificial is called connectionist. So basically what it does is that it looks at a lot of data and it runs neural nets. And so basically it's like filtering and filtering over and over and over until the artificial intelligence is able to recognize situation. But it does not learn. It's not there to increase your decision-making. It's there to recognize it. And that's the dominant AI today, what we call deep learning. Deep learning doesn't change you. Deep learning learns from you. And it's normal because deep learning was designed in the beginning to do that task recognition and nothing else. So the idea, and that's what we, we are developing today, the idea is that why don't we stop learning about variables and start discovering models? And so what we do is that we don't, we are doing what is called non-stationary learning and non-stationary learning is, is basically when you learn not the variables, but you learn the models. So what we do is that we discover the models of behaviors. And then when we have learned about the behaviors, we try to find some dissonance, inconsistencies between what we know about the behavior and what we see of this behavior. A good example we did, one of the first experiments we did was with uh, with bees. So we were working on drones and planes. And, and of course, we didn't want to use a drone or a plane because that would have been kind of cheating because we know our, a plane is flying. And so if you want to demonstrate that your AI is capable of doing something better or different, then you need to take an example and then nobody can debate. So we took all this, we, we took these HD cameras and, and we took these high HD movies of, of bees. And as you know, bees are, are flying in, in patterns. I mean, they, they do loops and ace when they find flowers. They do signs. They communicate the direction of, of their hives. And so what we did is that we just taught the, the AI to recognize left and right. Not, not any, not any and left and right. And then we told the AI, we said to the AI, just watch these bees and try to learn their behaviors. And it did. And the, the very interesting thing is that at one point we were able in, in, in a, in a beehive with like 1000 bees, we were able to find the bee that was not behaving like the 999 other bees. Okay. So an incong- incongruent behavior. The dissident, the dissent bees, the bees that didn't want to comply, which is good. I mean, that, that was my favorite bees of all. And so it, it's possible to actually not create an artificial intelligence that tried to force people to comply, that tried to submit people, but an, an AI that is there to discover and help people to discover new things. And so that's, that's what I'm dreaming of is like, 
let's take all this fashion industry, which is basically into a loop. I mean, if you look at the, the fashion industry, it's a huge, big creative loop, but it's still a loop. So it's, it's, it's taking new ideas, making new, old ideas new and, and, and it starts over. Now, one thing which is absolutely missing for this, from this picture, emotions are not missing. I mean, clothes and style and, and fashion artists are bringing a lot of emotions into clothing. And, and when, when you make a combination of your clothes, you are basically generating emotions and, and you are managing emotions. So, so it works. But what is actually missing is that it has no intelligence and, and it could. I mean, if you think of the future of closing, I think the future of closing are as, as something where you have a lot of nano sensors and captors and actuators. And it's like, like chameleons. It's a, it's a skin that is learning about you, learning about your environment and not only protect you, but help you to evolve and change. That's what I, that's how I see it. Okay. Thank you, Philippe. So. So you were talking about protecting you as regards to detecting heat and cold a little earlier on in our conversation. How do you see your work with bees and detection for spotting and detecting disease? We were talking about prevention. Well, for example, the, 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 the last thing we want is for our clothing to watch over us because it has a name, a clothing that, that prevents people to be free. It's called a camisole. And, and we don't want our clothing to become camisole because that's, that's not the goal. The goal is, is the clothing to the, our clothes to tell about our personality and, and help us improve and have more freedom. So the way it can help is that I'm talking about like soft integration and, and, and soft flow. I mean, like right now, if I want to protect others and help people to detect a, a pandemic or, or a contamination or a contagion, I have to, to jeopardize my freedom, which is not the right thing to do. And so I'm just thinking, you know, like maybe if your clothes can just take all this learning, like everywhere you go, the people you meet, your social distance, and then your clothes, you know, like can gently tap on your shoulder. I, that's easy to do. I, I, I can, I can manufacture that. And so when you are in a place when you are at risk, it's just tap, tap on your shoulder. Well, that's something you decide to have or not to have. You can, you can say to your clothes, well, just shut up. Keep, keep silent because I don't need you right now. You can say to your clothes, well, you can, you can tap on my shoulder very discreetly. Or maybe you can squeeze me a little bit, like can squeeze my left arm or squeeze my right arm. And, and there are a lot of things you can do and, and it's not aggressive and you don't have to tell your name and you don't have to have all your identity stolen. You have something that learns locally. What I mean is that we can learn locally without sending all your information to the government. We can have like a sensing technology on us that help us to increase our freedom without, you know, like being too offensive to our choice in life. Okay, so it protects your privacy. Protects your privacy because you can have local knowledge. 
Uh, there is this, this uh, ethnographer called Clifford Gertz. He's an, an ethnographer. He lived in, uh, in Bali and he wrote uh, this amazing book about the, the fights of the Balinese uh, roosters. And, and this guy spent basically 20 years living in village there. And what Gertz says is that what matters is the deep understanding of local knowledge. And that's, that's where the truth is. The truth is in understanding local knowledge. The, the more distant the knowledge, the less accurate. So if basically you have a helicopter knowledge or, or, or knowledge from big data, it, it crushes you. It crushes your personality. What you want is very rich and very dense local knowledge. And when I'm saying local knowledge, I'm saying six feet knowledge. Knowledge about you and your immediate surroundings and your friends and family. But when you see them, like a normal life, like in the 90s or the 80s, not something that, that watch over my friends and families even before I talk to them. I want my freedom to be at my hands reach. I want to be in charge of my own freedom in my immediate perimeter because that belongs to me. It doesn't belong to anyone. And I think the future of closing, that's exactly what it is. It will be something which is an extension of you, but an extension of you that increase your knowledge power immediately. Not something that help people who are doing advertising and marketing to, to sell you more stuff. Okay. Yeah. I find that really interesting. So the deep understanding of local knowledge, how do you see that contributing to sustainability? Well, the, the one thing is that, as I said earlier, as human beings, we are not very smart. I mean, we have a lot of sensors for very little brains. And so one thing is that, I mean, if you look at all the, the safety accidents, which are like crazy on this planet, and one, people don't like to listen to each other. And when they listen, they, they listen upwards. They don't listen to people on their left and right or downwards. They listen to the top. So one thing is that we can increase your personal knowledge by having clothes that actually are, are listening more than you do. No, like, like, you know, like if you have a clothes that actually has a heat sensor, at one point is going to tell you, you know, like you took a lot of UV today. I mean, today, like, you must love skin cancer because you're basically enjoying it so, so madly. I mean, these are very simple things to do. It could be also like, I can, you know, like, you, you should not take that much sad sadness. You know, like, I have a friend who told me, I mean, yesterday we said, well, you know, in Europe, the, 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 the confinement is over. I mean, it's not the case in California, but in, in France, in Northern Italy, there is no more confinement. So we, we got our freedom back. And so a friend of mine said, well, you know what? You, you should go and talk to someone. Go in a park, invite someone and, and sit, you know, next to each other and talk. So I did that today. I called a friend. I said, would you like to talk? I said, well, we are talking right now on the phone. He said, no, no, I would like <laughs> you to, to come and talk to me. In person. Uh, in person, in the park, you know, right in front of my house, there, there is a park, so we can go there. I said, that's a completely silly idea, but why not? So we went in the park and we talked 
for like half an hour or, and he said, Oh, that felt really good. That was amazing. Okay. And I said, well, yeah, it's just, uh, that's a normal thing to do, but yeah, maybe. So the idea is like, you know, like, like sometimes we, we do, we are programmed to develop these crazy self-fulfilling prophecies. You know, the, the, the human brains is, is, is really like, something that doesn't work very well. So when we are sad, we are going to sabotage ourselves and and do, do more of the same thing. Like, and so. Right. Your feelings create your behaviors. So, so you're saying, yeah, yes, always. Right. So you're saying you could literally change people's perceptions and retrain their brains so that they can retrain their behavior and have this great for example, park bench experience that you just had today. Yes, we can, you can have, you know, like the idea is that instead of having, I mean, most computers don't know anything about you. So people talk to these robots and these robots are learned from big data. And so basically these robots, they know about mankind. So they know like big statistics, big numbers. They know how the average American housewife or the average American office employee is, is behaving and, and you don't care because you cannot be the average. Nobody is the average. The average does not exist. It's, it's a fictional character. So the idea is, yeah, you, you want something that can fill you. You know, like there is somebody who runs a lot, somebody who moves a lot, somebody, I mean, that's something that is something that, that, that is actually physical and, and you need not, you don't need something that, that spy on you. You need some, something that is on you, something that you wear because all this information are, are very, very delicate and, and very difficult to understand how much you, uh, you move in the day, how you feel and all these things, you know, we, we talk about micro expressions on the face and so on, but there are nothing. All these technologies that analyze your face or, or listen to your conversations, they are very poor in comparison of technologies that listen to your body. Your body is, is way more sophisticated than just your face or your words. Right. So you can use your technology or AI to improve your individual lifestyle maybe guide you away from sitting in the sun for eight hours and telling you to go home and take a nap. And then your deep understanding of local knowledge to... Well, to make sure that, that, that you can make sure that, you know, like we know path of depression. I mean, these, these are something we know very well in, in, in behavioral sciences. But, you know, like when you, when you can, I mean, you have to have to keep your freedom. So you can tell your clothes, you know, try to keep me away in a gentle way from path of sadness try to make sure that that you know and then yes it's kind of silly because you can talk to your friends and ask the same thing but maybe you know like i'm not saying that your clothes is going to have a conversation with the clothes of your friend which might happen one day but at at least you know you have something that is learning from you and it's a, it's like a second skin i mean we always say you no know, clothes are a second skin then it's going to be a second intelligent skin and you can learn about the risk you take in terms of exposition to a virus. You can learn about your uh, social skills. You can learn about increasing your mobility when you need more mobility. 
these are things we can do without stealing your identity. You give me 10 sensors and I do it locally. I never talk to anybody. I just talk to you. I just have a, a software that learn with 10 points and with 10 points XYZ, I can learn amazing things. This is great for mental health and emotional behavior for improving yes. on it. On the flip side, how do you see, and you know, going back to that, actually mental health affecting your physical health, how do you see your work with these kinds of technologies in spotting and detecting physical disease. We're talking about mental health behavior. Mm-hmm. What about phys- what about spotting disease like the coronavirus? Like right now, sound you can use sound technology to potentially detect the coronavirus. The coronavirus, which is a, the SARS two, is like like every pandemic phenomenon. It's it's basically the, the main variables are, are density mm-hmm. and connectivity or mobility, which is basically the same thing, and, and immunity system. So that's the free thing you need to learn. So population density, then population mobility and immune systems. So it's one virus and, and, and it's a family of viruses and there are many, many different branches and versions. So. People are, are getting are getting scared, but it's it's not the virus which is nasty. It's just that there is so much inequality in our immune systems all over the planet that, of course, when it it, it strikes the weak, and right. so which is whoever why your local is the knowledge. weakest, yeah, whoever the weakest, uh, it could be senior people. That was the case in northern Italy. It could be young people. It's, it's a case in Brazil right now. Well, because the population is young and the people who don't get job and don't get good healthcare are young too. So it's targeting them. So it's not choosing anyone. It's just going to, to, to hit badly the people who are, who are the weakest. It's sad, but that's, that's the way it has always been in 1343 with the black plague in 1957. In 1968, one million dead. I mean, way more than, than, the coronavirus. I mean, when you had Woodstock, you had 1 million dead on planet Earth from a coronavirus in 1968. Have you heard of it? No, because nobody cares about this kind of thing at that time. But so the idea is like with the global warming and with overpopulation, yeah, it's very likely that this world is going to be riddled with this kind of phenomenon. And of course, the medieval solution are not something we want. We are not going to spend all our lifetime either in confinement or wearing mask. Right. Because it's not a life. Life right. is about smile. I mean, the, the human smile is one of the most beautiful and complex phenomenon on planet Earth. And so we want smiles. We don't want masks. So let's say that instead of using social control or instead of using data to lock you down or to lock you up, maybe you can use AI to free you. And so the idea is I'm going to use my artificial intelligence to free me as much as it can. And when you talk about local knowledge, local knowledge is every step I make, I want to make the best step, the step towards the green place, towards freedom. Sounds and fabulous. So 
Yeah, instead of having something that, that basically says no, 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 I want a technology that say yes, yes, yes. So a kind of, of like a radar within my clothes that basically are within anything around me that makes my life better and, and, and takes me to the green zone, not lock me down. So AI for freedom and, and happiness. Exactly. That's, that's, that's what it should be. And, and if you think about it, like, why are we choosing technologies that actually are reducing us instead of technology that increases us in 2020? Because if you look at the choice, you know, like if you look at the, uh, the tracking technology, that's what happened in middle age. In middle age, they would, they would paint the people's face, you know, or they would actually mark them with, with an iron mark. No. And that's what, that was tracking in the middle age for people who had, had, uh, the plague. When you had the plague, then they would take you and put a mark on your arm because they, they would say, well, then everybody will know. Maybe they could put a mark on your head and then everybody will know that that's how it worked for them. And so now in 2020, you want to do exactly the same thing with like a, a digital mark on your skin or on, on your phone. Or like I saw that in, uh, in some countries they are using bracelets and, and that doesn't make any sense. And, and on top of that, it's pretty useless because if you have a pandemic like that, at one point, that's what you want. Actually, at one point, you are going to have 60 to 80% of the population who has or had the, the COVID. And you want that because that's, that's how you get rid of pandemics. You get rid of them when most of the population had it at one point in time. And it's called herd immunity, but yeah. So you, you basically want that. You want to, you want to reach that point where you don't have to worry about replication because most people got it. And so, of course, if you, if you do your tracking system and 70% of the population already had it, then you are going to end up in a situation where everybody is going to be scared of everybody. So it's not a society anymore. It's, it's a nightmare. Right. You are becoming suspicious from your neighbor. Your phone is watching you, watching your neighbor. You know, something you don't want. I mean, that's not the life we want. We want people to be happy, to go back to, to the stores, go have family event, go back to school. That's what we want. And if we want that, we want to have a technology that, that increase freedom, not reduce freedom. Why limit your potential or happiness if we have the technology to enhance it? Exactly. And why don't we do it? Because obviously we have so much intelligence and so much power around us in terms of, I'm, I'm talking about processing power. I mean, every single individual on planet Earth has today the kind of processing power that the military had in 1945 to do World War II. So your computer in front of you is as powerful as the ENIAC-1 and ENIAC-2, which were the supercomputers of 1946. That's what we have today. So we have 4 billion people on planet Earth who have this processing power. And what we are going to do is to watch people and lock them down. It, it doesn't make sense. Every single individual on this planet has the processing power in their phone or their computers to be able to have a very powerful lo local AI that can help them be free. 
or more free or explore their freedom instead of instead of being suspicious and instead of watching your neighbors like a criminal. And your neighbor is not a criminal. Your neighbor is just like you. He wants more freedom. He wants to get out. So, Philippe, would you say that your goal is for the entire planet to be happier, safer, and free? Yes, <laughs> that's exactly the goal. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's good. I think that's a. I think that's a wrap up for now. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank, thank you so much, Professor Philippe Bomard, a very good friend of mine. Thank you so much for being my guest today. This is Andrea thank Alexa you. Smith. Thank <laughs> you. Really challenging. Thank you, Andrea. Thank you. <laughs> with, ge- with genius design transcends time. Thank you so much, Philippe. Thank you. Bye. Once again, thank you for joining us today on the Genius Design Transcends Time podcast, where fashion and health connect. This is your host, Andrea Alexa Smith. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.